Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and today I am fired up. And this uh, th- this podcast I, I recorded on Tuesday mornings, and uh, so I had a whole bunch of topics ready to go. Have a bunch of little things I want to talk about, and then just this morning, just you know, what, actually I'll go into this right away because why not? So just this morning, I wake up to a barrage of text messages and notifications from friends and from different things talking about the Super Nintendo Classic. So the Super Nintendo Mini went up for pre-order last night. At one in the morning on Best Buy and like three in the morning on Amazon. So now I'm kind of pissed off because I don't understand how these companies like think that's the best thing to do. Like when they come to pre-ordering something like this, obviously they have limited quantities. Fine. But come on, you guys, like one in the morning, three in the morning. Like, is, is this your plan to, to battle the majority of people wanting it and to protect your website from crashing as you release it at off peak hours? I mean, that's in, that's unbelievably stupid to me. And I was going to talk about this at the end of the podcast, but I'll just, since I'm on the rant now, I might as well stick with it. You know, I, I can't necessarily blame the retailers for having limited quantities, but you can you can give them a hard time for how they handle it. And firstly, the way Walmart handled the pre-order, however that was, I don't know if they didn't, I don't know how that went live and then they just canceled everyone's pre-orders, fine, whatever. You know, that that you can chalk that up to a mistake. Uh, Best Buy purposely put them up at 1 in the morning. Now, I'm seeing some people online saying, well, Best Buy updates their website at 1 a.m. Eastern every day. So that's probably what happened. Well, Best Buy doesn't necessarily always update every SKU at 1 in the morning. I've seen things go live at Best Buy at 8 in the morning, at 10 in the morning. So they choose when that went live. They chose to make that go live at 1 a.m. Whether it was on purpose to avoid crowds or not, that I guess we'll never know. Uh, but incredibly frustrating to me, you know, uh, I'm as someone who has to get up early and who has to get sleep. Uh, it's just so infuriating to me. And this kind of goes back to an argument I've made before when it comes to when I'm complaining about Amiibo pre-orders, or we'll talk a little bit more about limited run in a bit. Um, and I understand that it's a hot, highly sought item. You know, I if it were me after it being on pre-order for a week and I was looking for it and I couldn't find it, I have nobody to blame. Even if it was a day or two later from when pre-orders open, I have nobody to blame. But the day it goes up, you have less than five, ten minutes to buy it? That makes no sense to me. And I still will never understand how companies like Nintendo don't understand the amount of want there is for their customers. They spend so much money on um, customer research and stuff like that, and they just they never get it right, ever. And I, it's just it's it's mind boggling to me that they can't anticipate what's going to be hot. The NES Classic was a huge miss. Okay, I'll give you that one, even though I shouldn't. I'll give you that one only because. The it was the first time trying something like this. Okay. However, when you do the Super Nintendo, you know that this thing is gonna be mental. You know the people are gonna be looking for it. You know that there's gonna be scalpers out there trying to get it. So you should just make a metric, just f ton, and just blow the doors off this thing so that everybody who wants one can have one. That's all you have to do. And. And uh, and again, now we don't know quantities for Super Nintendo. And my understanding is they're doing the same thing they're gonna that they did with the Switch, which is you can pre-order X amount, pre-orders will be done, and then stores will receive about as many in-store as they got pre-orders. So it's like okay, if that's the case, fine. You know, I, I guess that's fine. Um, 
and and I'm just one of those people that uh, refuses to camp out. Like I've got a friend now who's saying he's going to start, he's going to camp out Best Buy like at midnight. I absolutely refuse to do that. I think that's asinine to expect your customers to wait in line like animals outside uh, for a product that's coming in. I think that's completely ridiculous. Um, and again, if people do it, I don't care. I mean, go ahead. I just, me personally, I just, I won't do it. I, I have, I just won't do it. Um, so even if we give Nintendo the benefit of the doubt, and they didn't understand the NES Classic was going to be as popular as it was, which they should have. But again, I'll give them a pass on this one. The Super Nintendo Classic, they know how busy it's going to be. And you've got, I don't know, whatever retailers. I mean, based on how long the pre-order stayed live, Amazon and Best Buy sure as hell didn't have very many. Because those pre-orders were not live very long. And so now I'm curious to see if, like, if Target and Walmart eventually do pre-orders toys or us whoever else does pre-orders how many do they even have gamestop i'm ex i'm excited to see what gamestop might be able to pull but who knows you know i mean gamestop's always the last place to sell out because quite frankly nobody likes to buy stuff there and there's and you have to pay extra for shipping and all this other nonsense but i don't know it's just incredibly infuriating and it, you know this this just happened like I, it's fresh in my brain because i literally woke up about an hour ago to all these missed messages and and you know i signed up for notifications when Best Buy started doing pre-orders and I signed up for notifications when Amazon started doing pre-orders. I didn't get notified by either one. So now that's not Nintendo's fault. That's, that's a piss poor system in place by Best Buy and Amazon. And now to be fair, if I'd gotten that Best Buy notification, I probably still wouldn't have been able to get it. And if they sent those out, it probably would have sold out even faster. But why would you offer a service that you can't do? You know, it's, it's, what do they say? It's better to uh, under, uh, excuse me, under promise and over deliver than just to over promise and under deliver. So now I'm feeling burned by these stupid companies that can't handle their business right. As opposed to maybe I had viewed the page and I didn't sign up for notifications, but since I had viewed the page, they sent me a, a ding to my app saying, Hey, by the way, that item you looked at, now you can pre-order it. That would have been them going above and beyond what I asked for, as opposed to me right now sitting here mad that they couldn't even do what they said they would do. If you can't do it, then don't. That's fine, but you don't say that you can do it, you know. And I think what frustrates me the most about all this is, in general, the way pre-orders work have changed, or at least the way Nintendo's doing it has changed. So the idea of pre-orders originally. So this was back when, like, we were pre-ordering PS One and PS Two games way back in the day when I worked at Software, etc. The idea behind pre-orders was that you were giving the you were giving the company an idea of how many copies to order. And then when you put in an order, that gave the publisher an idea of how many copies to make. So, like, we, at Software Etc., a lot of people may not even remember this who worked there, but I remember when we had something called the call list. So what we would do is you had binders set up. Um, you had binders set up that people could put their name and number down, and you would call them once you could once a certain game came in. It wasn't guaranteed to hold them a copy, but it was, a, it was an alternative to the putting ten dollars at that time it was ten dollars down to pre-order a game it was an alternative to putting the ten dollars down to pre-order a game uh if they didn't want to plunk the money down and every at the end of every week we would actually go into the computer and enter the call list numbers so we would we would we would go to the computer and say okay uh you know grand theft auto 2 for ps1 had 10 people on the call list so that way our corporate would look and say well they only had five pre-orders but they had 10 people on the call list so let's send them 10 or 15 copies as opposed to sending them five or six copies for what they had pre-ordered so it was just it was a way to gauge interest and then you filled 
quantity to that location based on the interest. Now what they do is they make a set number of quantity and they go to Best Buy, they go to Walmart, they go to GameStop and they say, well, Best Buy, you get 100,000 SNES Classics. That's that's your order. That's what we're going to send you. So whenever you want to do pre-orders, whatever you want to do, you can pre-order to your limit and that's it. And that's what they do. And so that's why you have these feeding frenzies of trying to pre-order and get everything out in advance. Why in the hell did Nintendo not open pre-orders for this back in April? Right? So six months ago, let's open up pre-orders. Well, that's not six months ago. Let's say six months ago, let's open up pre-orders. Six months ago, they opened up pre-orders. They open it up wide open. And let's say we have, I don't know, you, you reserve two and a half million. Well, you know what you do then? Then you make five million. You ship out the two and a half million for pre-orders and you have two and a half million extra. Instead, what they did was they made like, I don't know, maybe they made two million total. And now they've got every company breaking up their pre-orders at different times to try to sell out their quantities. Now, the other problem with this is now you have the 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 quote unquote scalpers the people who are just buying it to resell it instantly they can be up at best so they get best buy they get amazon there's no way for best buy and amazon to know that that same person's buying multiples but again if you pre-order in advance he could pre-order 10 if he wanted to and that's okay because they're going to make enough to fill his pre-order plus extra and so it's it's an interesting shift and an unfortunate and an irritating shift in how they've done pre-orders because now they just make a certain amount and say, here you go, just throw us, throw it to the wolves and see who gets what, and then hopefully everyone comes out on the right side. Or uh, when in the, when the, what they could do is just open up and let the, let the market just go and then make a, mon- a bunch dependent on that. I mean, it takes time to create these things, right? So I'm not expecting them to take pre-orders this week to know how many extra to make for next month. But if you start six months ago come on. I mean, it's just, it's so irritating to me as somebody who's, I've got my ear to the ground on all this stuff. It's what I do for a living. It's what I do as a hobby. So every day I've got notifications coming from everywhere. You know, I have to like subscribe to like, uh, certain people on Twitter and, and like have all these tweets coming through that I don't care about just so that I can see the ones I do care about. And and I have to get notified by everything. And I still didn't get one. It's so incredibly frustrating to me. And I'm not just like here crying that I didn't get one. It's it's an abomination, this system that Nintendo's creating lately. And even with the Nintendo Wii, when it came out, that had massive shortages for years during the holiday season after it released. But when it was first coming out, you could pre-order them and there were some available on the shelf right away. Like it, it they they pre-ordered based they, they created based on pre-order quantities. And so along with that story, some people are uh, would also equate that to what Limited Run Games is doing. So if you're not familiar with Limited Run Games, Limited Run Games is a company that takes digital games for PS4 and PlayStation Vita, and they make physical copies. So they actually will go to Sony and say, we want to make a print run of 4,000 copies. Most recently, uh, well, not most recently, but the most recent uh, large ones were of the new game, uh, well, the remake of an old game, but the, the re-release of Night Trap and the re-release of Wonder Boy. Those two games came out in the last couple weeks. Well, Limited Run is also frustrating because they do, well, like the name implies, a limited run of games. So they do a very small amount. It's meant to be like a collector's item. Like for people who, I mean, you can buy the game digital for $5. And so why would you buy a physical for 25 Well, it's because they know that a lot of us want to have a physical copy of a game. They, we want to own it physically. 
And now to be to, to, to limited runs defense, which I buy a lot of their stuff. I've I've been a, a since day one. I've been a limited run game buyer, and in their defense, they say up front, "We made this many copies. It's going to go on sale this day, and that's it." Now sometimes they, I think they make mistakes with the amount of quantity they make. Like with Night Trap and Wonder Boy, they sold out within two minutes. Well, that's ridiculous. But you knew that going in. You knew that on Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning central time that that item was going for sale, and you knew that you had only a few minutes to order it. Now, that doesn't make it easy for everybody else who's trying to get one, but at least it's 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 definite. It's locked in. You know it's coming. You can prepare for it, and you're good to go. This stealth launch BS that Best Buy and Amazon are pulling in the middle of the night is just a bunch of crap. And it's their way of copping out in the system and saying, well, we put it up for pre-order and we sold out. It's not our fault. Well, it's it's piss poor customer service, in my opinion, to kind of pass the buck along and to say, well, you know, we have this, you know, we have this really hard to find item and it's not our fault. It's Nintendo's fault. Don't be mad at us. We put it up for pre-order and we sold out. We, you know, and then they don't even have the decency to email the people that signed up for it. Whatever. It's, it's whatever. It's frustrating is what it is. Um, now limited run games recently took a lot of flack for this because, um, they allow you to purchase two copies of most items. A lot of the collector's editions, they'll limit to one, but, uh, they do allow two copies. And even the regular night trap that you could order two copies of was, sold out instantly like within minutes and so people were frustrated who wanted to get that and i understand their frustration but it is something that if you if you're prepared for it you may still not get it but at least you knew when it was coming like they gave you the information you needed to try to get it like me i woke up this morning you know (laughs) i woke up this morning to a bunch of text messages from friends hey did you get the classic did you get the classic i'm like oh it went up for pre-order at 1 30 in the morning yeah sorry you know, I didn't get it. And uh, so it's just frustrating that it's the unknown that is frustrating, you know. And so hopefully today, Walmart and Target and GameStop will get pre-orders. Maybe GameStop will do in-store pre-orders and I can move a pre-order over to it or something. Um, but I don't know. You know, it's just one of those really annoying things. And uh, it's frustrating to me that there's a lot of people to blame for it. But most of all, to blame, I think it's the way that Nintendo does the pre-order system. They should have opened pre-order six months ago and let us just go crazy on whatever we wanted to buy. Let us buy as many as we want and then make it based on that quantity. I don't know. It's not that difficult. But Nintendo seems to make even the most not difficult things difficult. So anyway, that's my mini rant this morning about rarity of things and how pre-orders work and how frustrating it is to get hard-to-find items. And, like, there's already a guy, you know, on on Twitter this morning. He's like, thanks so much for the notification. And he seriously shared a picture of him buying, like, five copies on Amazon of the SNES Classic. Now, Amazon is notorious for being able to put an item up and say it's limited to one per account per Prime account. And that's it. And it's that's that easy and it's over. But this guy was able to order five. And he had like five emails right in a row of ordering it. And same with Best Buy. Best Buy says, oh, well, limit one. You can only buy one. Well, you just do 10 orders of one. It's like, I, it's, it's so stupid. And these companies have to be held responsible for, like, if you're going to, if you want to get on the craze and you want to carry these crazy items, you have to be prepared to deal with the crazy fans and you have to do it in the right way and you have to offer good service. That's what frustrates me. I think is that this is just, none of this is pro consumer at this point. It's like treating us like we're just, just this wolves ready to tear each other apart and just give us a, just dangle something in front of us. But uh, anyway, 
So moving on <laughs> to stories that are a little less exciting than that. Uh, some interesting stuff came down the pipeline this week, though. Uh, there's Like I said, there's a lot of short ones. A lot of little ones. Um, actually, since we're talking about that, let's do this. So uh, on Sunday, pre-orders went up for the uh, Xbox One X. So that's the, the new overpriced, overpowered system that we don't need from Microsoft. Um, and for some reason, the Day One Edition, instead of being called Day One, it's going to be called the Project Scorpio Edition. So I don't know if... They realized that when they had called it, because originally the Xbox One X was called Project Scorpio. So it was the idea was that this was their code name for the project they were working on. And we didn't know what the name was going to be. Uh, I think they should have just called it the Xbox Scorpio or the Xbox One Scorpio or something. Just because Scorpio had gained a lot of traction. It's what everybody was calling it. It's what a lot of the fans were calling it. So it is what it is. Okay, so Project Scorpio. And... So for some reason, they, they they must not have realized the, the sticking power that that name would have for marketing. So then, uh, obviously, once they called it the Xbox One X, a bunch of people made fun of the name again because they thought it was silly. So then these, well, now they come out with the Xbox One X Project Scorpio Edition. So the only real difference is the controller is black, uh, is all black, which is actually kind of cool. It's all black, so the buttons aren't colored. I actually like that controller a lot. But in the middle between the D-pad and the right analog stick, it just says Project Scorpio. Like, technically it's sideways. So imagine if you're holding your Xbox controller in front of you. Imagine the word Project Scorpio, the words Project Scorpio turned so that they're pointing down and you have to hold the controller sideways to read it, but whatever. And then on the Xbox One X console itself, on the if it's laying down flat on the left side, in neon green it says Project Scorpio. So schematically like it looks good it's clean from a color scheme perspective uh the box it comes in i I don't understand this at all actually um i i probably do but the box it comes in i kid you not the the square box it comes in looks like the design of the original xbox so like it's got the cross with like um the the dead areas of what an x would be it's got the dead areas have like the line vents like the top of an original xbox so why in the hell like i mean i think what they're doing is they're trying to play off the nostalgia of xbox owners like dude check out this awesome. but, but this doesn't make any sense i mean i guess you could argue that they're working on regular xbox backwards compatibility for the xbox one but I, I don't understand any of this. Like, this is just, just whack-ass stuff. Like, th- this is just dumb marketing. Like, this this is things that people sit down in a room and they think about and they go, oh, it's going to be hot. Nostalgia's hot right now. We can make the box. Oh, this is so cool. Oh, this is so cool. And then it comes out and you're like, but it doesn't make any sense. Now, to be fair, it doesn't make any sense to me because I'm kind of in the in, in the thick of it with this sort of podcast and with what I do and, and, and the information I have. But... So maybe the average person looks at this and goes, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Even I look at it originally and I go, well, it looks kind of cool. But then my brain kicks in. It's like, hold on. This, like, this is just dumb marketing. And what, like, I don't know. It Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just, just still grumpy from the Super Nintendo Classic this morning. And so it's carrying over to everything else. Uh, but I don't know. What, what a, it just seems weird to me that, like, why didn't you just call it the Xbox Scorpio then? Like, you knew the name had sticking power, so you you go back. Now it's called the Project Scorpio Edition. Like, it's just a ploy. Stuff like this is a ploy to get people to buy stuff right away, to buy it on day one, uh, because they want the special edition. Like, even the Xbox One, 
originally came out with a day one edition and your controller said like day one edition 2014 or whatever the stupid year was when that came out <laughs> and uh yeah so anyway it's still five hundred dollars they didn't drop the price at all and uh, i i don't know i guess i do like the controller i like the controller being all black with the buttons being black too so uh yeah i don't know it i, I wish they had done some other things like having that little display and having like um you know, like like the like the FPS display and like maybe a temperature gauge or something like a PC. I thought that'd be kind of cool. Uh, and then just to piggyback on that, Microsoft also announced uh, another Xbox One S edition, and it's a Minecraft edition. And this is actually pretty cool looking. It doesn't make much sense to buy, uh, but it's cool. Like it looks kind of like a Minecraft block, like the dirt block with the grass on top. And then the controller is a creeper controller. So if that controller is not available sold separately, I will probably have to buy one of those. It's it's super cool. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so uh, going on with the pre-order thing, uh, I heard about it on Sunday. About an hour later, I pre-ordered mine. Yes, I'm buying one after ranting and raving about this pile of crap. I am buying one. Of course, I buy everything. Um, mostly because I feel like you can't effectively make fun of something if you don't yourself own it. So once I buy it, it justifies me being able to take a crap on it, which I don't know if that's messed up. I believe it is, but it's fine. And that's that's how I do things around here. So welcome, welcome to Greg's world of game collecting. Um, so moving on, uh, but staying with the Xbox theme, because why not? Uh, Crackdown 3 was one of the biggest exclusives coming to the Xbox One. Uh, and it's been delayed. So Crackdown 3 has been in development hell for, oh, I don't know, forever. Uh, if I had to guess, I want to say that game originally was supposed to come out in 2013, 2012 maybe. It was probably supposed to be a launch title on Xbox One originally. And this is one of those games <laughs> that uh, Microsoft was like, you won't believe what you can do with the power of the cloud. And they're like, what? And they're talking about like cloud computing and cloud gaming. And yeah, it, it took so long for this game to come out. The The cloud being cool has come and gone. <laughs> so this game, in my opinion, has nothing going for it. Uh, what is wrong with it that it is taking this long to come out? I have no idea. Just back at E3, they announced it was launching. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, they announced that it was launching alongside the xbox one x like this was the one game that was launching with the x and it just gets delayed and i don't i don't understand this game's uh, it looks it looks like ass and i say that as somebody who loved crackdown one but i didn't like crackdown two crackdown one is an excellent game and it was a really fun gem that nobody knew they would like because we all bought the game just to get into the halo 3 beta and so before the halo 3 beta was out you're like well i might as well play this stupid game that i bought and you, I put it in. I was like, holy crap, this game's really good. And uh, so it was an interesting game. Crackdown 2 is a different developer. I, I didn't have the same charm to me. And Crackdown 3 looks to be just going down the same path. But again, it goes back to the larger issue here, which is Microsoft having no exclusives or so few exclusives that they're not drawing gamers to their system. Like if I was an Xbox exclusive owner right now, I'd be so pissed at the lack of software I have coming compared to the other systems when microsoft on the 360 you know the regular xbox didn't sell as well as the ps2 duh the ps2 crushed everybody but the 360 when that came out a year before the ps3 microsoft went after sony and i say this as a sony guy i've never been much of an xbox guy microsoft took them to the woodshed with the 360 they had tons of original software they got tons of exclusives and they and, and what's funny is if you look at that generation the xbox 
360 did the exact opposite of the PS3. So the 360 was affordable. It was it, they focused on games. We're a game machine for game players. We're playing games. Yeah, you can play DVDs and use it as a home media center, but it's a it's a video game system. Sony, on the other hand, with the PS3 initially, its marketing was it can do everything. It's a computer. It can it can cure cancer by folding something and doing the folding app that you can do the scientific whatever. And you can, I can do all this stuff and, and it plays games and it's six hundred dollars and it can do this and it's a media player and it's a Blu-ray player and all this other stuff. And it's six hundred dollars. So it it's slow to take off because what we find is that people don't give a crap about that. People give a crap about a good game console just playing good games. So on the three in the three sixty era, Microsoft took them to the woodshed and they had amazing exclusives like Fable and Halo and uh, obviously stuff like Forza and then you have Gears of War coming kind of out of nowhere, which originally was an epic game, but Microsoft published, so makes sense and you have all these awesome exclusives coming like holy crap and then you get a bunch of even japanese rpgs you get blue dragon you get lost odyssey you get last remnant and you get all these like like holy crap they're making an effort and they just this blew the doors open on the games okay so fast forward to the next console generation microsoft is losing exclusives faster than all like they're just not making any and they even went out of their way excuse me they went out of their way to purchase gears of war from epic so Microsoft now owns the Gears of War IP and they bought Minecraft from they bought Mojang and they still are lacking in exclusives. I it's it's unbelievable to me. So Crackdown 3 was this one game that was like, hey, it's not Forza, it's not Gears, it's not Halo. <clears throat> we have something new coming down the pipe that's an exclusive, and it's Crackdown 3, and it's been in development hell forever, most likely because it's not fun. That's just how it goes. Games that aren't fun don't, you know, they don't do well. <laughs> and so they pulled it back to make some changes and now it's delayed to 2018 it says spring of 2018 so i guess we'll we'll believe it when we see it i don't know it just does not make sense to me um let's see they uh this this is the the comment from microsoft studios uh shannon loftus the publishing general manager <clears throat> sorry my throat's giving me crap today um so we're very excited about crackdown 3 and so are many fans and so it's difficult call to move the release date however we want to make sure to deliver the right game with the right quality at the right time crackdown 3 is a hugely ambitious game and we want to ensure we deliver the right experience all the way through every part of the game whether that's campaign co-op multiplayer or our competitive multiplayer mode wrecking zone getting the balance right between the three modes is important and we're going to take extra development time to ensure that gamers can expect crackdown 3 in spring of 2018 uh yeah so oh here we go yeah this this article talks about more about it so the game was originally revealed at e3 in 2014 but microsoft went mum for a long time there was talk of a release in the second half of 2016 but that never came out either and then crackdown was at this year's e3 and hasn't received the marketing blitz that most AAA titles get so basically it's like the the black sheep of the microsoft game family and it doesn't get a lot of push um yeah and uh, originally scheduled to release november 7th with the xbox one x um so the only game apparently it's launching with the xbox one x is super lucky's tale whatever the hell the game that is uh yeah i don't know you know that's it's it's been in development hell forever i guess what's another six months uh it doesn't really matter that game's not gonna be good anyway so don't worry about it um but yeah so moving on uh this i find interesting because i find interesting everything about hideo kojima and konami and metal gear um but recently uh hideo kojima spoke at the game developer now uh versus uh when he was starting out in an interview with uh toyo keizai 
Uh, he started off by saying he's grateful to Konami for letting him make the things he wanted to make. So here's what Ko uh, Kona Kojima said about Konami. Whenever he would pitch a plan, including the budget, they would tell him it's okay. On the other hand, excluding when he was new to the company, he was never commanded to do specific things. Until the very end of his time at Konami, he was always permitted to carry out his game proposals, which included his aim, the time needed, the number of people needed, and his vision of the future. Which is very obvious if you're someone like me who's waited for every Metal Gear game to come out, and and they'll show you a trailer, and then you don't get to play the game till sometimes two years later, and you just wait patiently, and delays upon delays upon delays, which, to be fair, they never really set release dates, so you can't really be delayed if you don't set a release date, right? So, uh, but for someone who waits for new Metal Gear games and how excited and amped up I get, it's just one of those things where it's, uh, you know, like, I kn clearly he was allowed to take as much time as he needed, and he always did, <laughs> which I think is what it, uh, essentially led to his release was that people at Konami were like, we can't keep operating like this. And I think he had gotten um, some people, and I know Japan would never use this analogy or, or this, uh, this saying, but I think the way they looked at it was he got too big for his bridges, um, which if you've never heard that term before, it just means he was, he was bigger than the team and he was, he was turning into, um, you know, or, or something like writing, writing ch your mouth, writing checks that your butt can't cash that kind of idea. Right. Even though he always came through for Konami and his games were always incredibly rated and high. And, and it's probably why it got him as far as it did, because his games were always highly appreciated. Um, so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people at Konami really didn't like how he had a studio named after himself. He was basically given the keys to the castle at that company, and they were just, here you go. And hopefully he had stock in the company or something. Like, hopefully he was given something that made him benefit from his his leaving there uh, and make some money off it. I, I would assume probably not, but hopefully he had some stock options or something. Um, but anyway... Um, uh, he says, comparing the situation to the situation of many young workers in the game industry today, he says it by no means have the same kind of freedom. Due to games getting bigger, more systems, more genres, and more barriers, many young recruits out of college are thrown into a line and continue to make small background objects or explosions for three or even five years. So he's saying that when he was starting out in the game industry, he had more freedom to do what he wanted to do, and he was so so they let his creativity blossom, as opposed to the most creative person now gets hired as a generic person at Konami and they're just making explosions and they might just keep doing that for years and years because it's almost more like the, the process of making games now has become streamlined and has become almost like a factory where someone's sitting at a you're sitting at a desk making rocks and rocks 1 through 20 will be used in this game but rocks 20 through 40 will be used in the next game but all you're doing is pumping rocks so you're sitting on a factory line pulling one lever pushing it up pulling a lever, pushing it up, and that's all you do all day. Uh, it has nothing to do with the product being made. It just has to do with what your specific job is in the in the sense of the, the how the job is and, and, and what the company does. Uh, he adds, there are more and more staff members who only affect extremely small parts of the games while not being able to see the product in its entirety, and that no matter how much experience they pile up, they won't be able to make a game on their own, which I also think... Uh, is part of why we're seeing this indie game revolution is because there are people who have creative ideas who want to do what they want to do and it's impossible to get hired by these big companies sometimes. So they're saying, you know what, I can work a full-time job, work on my game part-time for two years, launch a Kickstarter or launch an early access 
and be successful that way. And then once I start selling, I can quit my job and work on full-time development. Um, uh, Kojima goes on to recall his own experience when he started on a small team of only five. Kojima says everyone had to be able to do everything. You couldn't say, well, my specialty is... Uh, because he remembers having to study and work very hard, only sleeping three hours a day. If I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't have been able to continue until where I am today. I had both information on the micro bits as well as the macro viewpoint of the whole project. And Kojima concludes that many roles are becoming very narrowly specialized. Thus, it's becoming harder and harder to command view of the whole product. Naturally, he feels it's unfortunate and he pities them. Um, not in a negative way, but he just he, he, he feels uh, bad that... Um, people are becoming so specialized that they don't get to see the entire project as a whole and manage an entire project. Like at like at EA, for instance, you're going to have a game that's going to have a sound designer, a graphics designer, a gameplay designer, a story designer, a narrative designer, a cutscene designer, all these different designers. And so, the, and there's going to be a producer, obviously, who's kind of making sure all these things come together. But when you have one person with a vision of the game and that one person's able to have control over everything you get a much more streamlined experience, I think. And I think that's why we see a lot of these big games feel kind of jarring because you have so many different people working on them. It's almost like you have different teams that don't talk to each other as much as you might need to. Uh, but again, you know, Kojima is an industry legend. Uh, he'll go down in history as like a, a Shigeru Miyamoto type where his ideas were uh, incredibly inventive and fresh. And I hope we're blessed to have him making games for a very long time. Um, I actually would like to see Kojima go the smaller game route again. Like, I love that he makes these epic million dollar triple A games, but I would love to see him go back to some classic kind of roots and make some $20 indie games and just put his creativity to the test again. Because that's part of what I like about him as a game designer is his creativity and him thinking up new ways to make a game fun for us. So I always like that. But anyway, I, I thought it was an interesting look into the... Um, it was an interesting look into the other side of game development from someone who's been doing it for quite some time. All right, let's see here. I just got to check my phone real quick because, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, do, 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 do. I'm just double checking my, uh, notifications because, uh, I want to make sure that if it goes up again, I'm there for it. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, the next thing I want to talk about was, uh, uh, another Sony hack. Uh, this one not too bad, but basically, uh, this was Twitter and Facebook accounts were were taken over by uh, uh, I don't know the name of the hacking company. Uh, the group is called Our Mine, and they seem to be the one behind it. And they're the same team that gained access to HBO and the Game of Thrones social media accounts a few days ago. So a lot of people were worried um, that uh, other things were going to get hacked as well. It looks like it was just contained to their social media accounts. But how incredibly annoying <laughs> and frustrating. And uh, uh, and it's funny because they, they basically post and say, we're not going to share the information. We are a security group. If you, <laughs> This is the exact quote. If you works at PlayStation, then please go to our website, ourmind.org slash contact. Uh, so I don't know if that was legitimately them trying to say, hey, Sony, we found a security loophole. Pay us to, like, you know, help you um fix it or if it's just them trying to like get sony to go to their website so they can hack them again i don't know i it's so it's so strange to me this this thing and it's it's like a fun game for these people to be able to do this and to take over you know big company social media accounts and i don't know it, it's so it's so weird to me but it's it's certainly not uh 
not a great situation for anybody. And I think the reason I wanted to bring this up, because this story in itself is just kind of small, but uh, there's been a new buzzword kind of going around called uh, the buzzword for crossplay. And crossplay is the idea that you could have an online game like Rocket League or Player Unknown's Battlegrounds or um, Ark. Uh, any any online game really that you could play with PlayStation people and Xbox people together in the same game. Uh, it sounds like a, an amazing idea, which ten years ago you never would have thought possible. But with what we have today, technology wise, it shouldn't be that difficult. Well, recently Microsoft has come out and said, "Well, you can cross play between us and PC," and you're like, "Okay, well that's pretty cool." So you know, but that makes sense. You know, Microsoft making a system that can be compatible with its own operating system. I mean, you'd sure hope so. But then at E3, there was a big reveal that Minecraft was going to have cross-play between the Switch and the Xbox and PC. And that's really cool. So Nintendo got on board and said, okay, well, we can allow our version of your game to connect to your servers and, uh, and, and allow everyone who can connect to those servers to play. Very cool. And then you've got Sony who is just completely and 100% against the idea. And no one really knows why. So everyone just kind of thinks that Sony's being arrogant, they're being, you know, bullish about the whole thing. But in my opinion, I think it goes back to the hacking incident. Uh, oh, God, what year was that? That was like 2009, I think, when uh, PlayStation Network went down for almost a month or two because uh, they got hacked so bad and there were so many security loopholes that they had to pull the whole service down and rework it. It was crazy. It was. If I'm sure a lot of you guys would remember this, I remember it because Dirt Two or Dirt Three had just come out, and Dirt Three had a pass that you had to enter to get like it was like an online pass sort of thing that you could enter to get access to certain parts of the game. And the store was down, so I couldn't play half the game because uh, it wasn't available. And uh, so that was a big mess, and it was down for like a month or two. It was it was the craziest thing I've ever seen when it came to a service like that. Like just it got just smashed and i think uh a couple things one i think that sony has insurance against something like that and that might be what's stopping them from allowing to do stuff like this because their insurance policy might state it only covers them if they do not put themselves out there you know or if they don't cross with some other companies or whatever if they have to be in total control of their own destiny <clears throat> and uh so it might have to do with an insurance thing, but clearly, in my opinion, it's based off of this fear of not having full control over their network. And it seems like something that is pretty reasonable to me, honestly. Uh, I wish it weren't true because I would love to see Sony and Microsoft and Switch gamers all playing the same game together. I think that would be incredible. But Sony has been just super nervous and twitchy after that happened because a lot of people don't know this either because it only happened for a little bit. But there was a time when Portal 2 came out for PS3. You could link that to, to your Steam account. So you could link your PS3 to your Steam account. And it was super cool. So it seemed like this new thing, like, oh, Sony's kind of pairing up with Valve and they're they're going to make something work. And then that was the only game that ever did it. And then this hack happens and now Sony just locks everything up tight because they're afraid of something like that happening again. So it sucks. And that's kind of the reason I talk about this because this certainly isn't helping the cause either. So PlayStation social media accounts get hacked. It's not going to make Sony as a company any more likely to want to put themselves out there when they keep getting breaches like this. Now, sure, most likely what happened was someone who has control of this account, some community manager, most likely got um, some sort of phishing scam or something. You know, they target these people often like what happened with the uh, uh, DNC hack a couple years ago. Like they tricked one of the guys into 
revealing information, you know, like that's, that's probably what happened here and who knows <laughs> who it really was. Uh, but you know, it's, it, this is part of the reason we can't have, you know what they always say, like, this is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have crossplay, because Sony is afraid of being hacked and they want full control over their servers so that they can make sure that they are protecting their users, but also protecting their own butts. So it's unfortunate, but it is what it is because it is. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then lastly, so the last thing that came across my desk this week and last was, uh, that it was officially confirmed, uh, let's see, Saturday of all days, it was officially confirmed from BioWare that Mass Effect Andromeda, the new Mass Effect, will not be getting any new content. Uh, Kotaku reported uh, back in late June when sources familiar with BioWare's plan said that Andromeda would receive no single-player DLC, a huge departure from every previous game in the series. In today's announcement, BioWare confirmed the report saying our last update, 1.1, was the final update for Mass Effect Andromeda. There are no planned future patches for single-player or in-game story content. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Um, uh, this is what they're saying. So, the studio went on to... Let's see. Um, okay, after uh, this, is, this is kind of follow-up to that. After only five months in the wild, the game has more or less been abandoned. The news comes after a series of previous patches that attempted to fix animation issues and build out the game's multiplayer mode. Going forward, it appears that while the latter may still get some new tweaks and additions, the game's mammoth single-player story has reached its conclusion. Which, and I have not played it yet, but I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and they said that they are a whole bunch of storylines that aren't finished in the game. Like there's side quests that kind of leave you hanging a little bit that you could tell that clearly they, they were going to maybe branch off and do more and they'll just totally be left there floating and hanging out there. Now uh, the studio went on to say early in development, we decided to focus on mass effect Andromeda's story on the pathfinder, the exploration of the Andromeda galaxy and the conflict with the Archon. I don't know what that means. The game was designed to further expand on the Pathfinder's journey through the new galaxy with story-based Apex multiplayer missions. And we will continue to tell stories in the Andromeda galaxy through our upcoming comics and novels, including the fate of the Corian Ark. So I guess it's cool. So if you want to know more story, you have to buy books and comic books and, um, and stuff like that. You can't get the story through the game. Why would you, why would you want to do that? It reminds me of Halo in the beginning. People always talk about Halo having this amazing world, and I, I played the Halo games up through 3, and I was like, well, it's not that amazing. It's it's okay. And someone goes, oh, but dude, dude, Greg, dude, you got to read the books, dude. Oh, the books are so good. They go to so much detail. And I just kind of scrunch my nose up. I'm like, so I got to read books to know what happens in a video game? I mean, not that I have a problem with reading books, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so anyway, uh, except where it made sense, like with the original Mass Effect, they had a history. They talked about um, your your uh, commander of your ship was Anderson, and then the guy you were chasing was Saren uh, in Mass Effect 1. And you knew that those two had a history that was explained to you in the game, but you didn't know the exact details of that history. Later then, they write a book about the history between those two. That's the proper way to do it. Lore and stuff like that should be supplemented by outside material, not shaped by outside material, I would say. World of Warcraft actually does this very, very well, too. They shape the world, and then they have all these little stories that you've heard about. They ha they were writing books about those stories. Um, but uh, anyway, so initially that's not that big of a deal, right? You think of that. Uh, you think of... Um, you know, Bioware, and you think of Mass Effect as 
one of the biggest franchises in EA's library. So last gen- last console generation on the Xbox 360 is what started it, and then it shifted to PS3. They created a game that spanned three games. So they created a- an IP that was three games. It was Mass Effect. And the games were so good that not only did they create this this awesome series of games, they, they were able to create a universe of books and comic books they have the marketing and branding of the N7 logo, which is part of the Mass Effect game. So you have that, which they sell Mass Effect hoodies and T-shirts and, and pins and buttons and, and uh, action figures of all the characters. And they do all this sort of stuff. And it's... I don't know, my cat's <laughs> scratching something. Um, so they have all this stuff. They make this huge... Um, they have this huge, sorry, I keep checking my phone for notifications on the damn Super Nintendo Mini. Um, so they have this huge universe, this huge money-making thing that they built, and in one game, one bad game, and they crapped the bed and they ruined the whole thing. That's incredibly impressive to me, that they could in in this take time building up three amazing games, building up the marketing and the hype and the branding and all this other stuff, and then in one crappy game, they just pissed that all away. Because think of this now, like all the Mass Effect stuff they sell, now that this game has been crappy and they don't make any more games, who's going to buy merchandise for those games? You know, like the people that wanted it, I think have already bought it. And they're going to keep trying to pump out more Mass Effect merchandise and they'll most likely go back to the old stuff again and they'll make like uh, more Commander Shepard figures and because they're going to totally forget about Andromeda because nobody cares about the game. No one cares about the characters. And they're going to go back and they're just, they had all this opportunity. And I've just, I don't think I've ever seen a series in history fall from grace like Mass Effect has fallen. Like you have sometimes a game will come out and then they'll try to milk it and then it'll have some some subpar quality games and then people look at it and go, you know, I remember when that franchise was really good and it's not so much anymore. But one game, one game ruined the, the entire trajectory of the success of that franchise. And, and, and we reported on this a couple podcasts ago, but they also have come out and said that they're, that the Mass Effect team is on hold. They're on freeze, so there's no more Mass Effect games coming out. And clearly, the Mass Effect team went on to work on Anthem, which is their answer to, like, Destiny. And I understand a new IP is good, and I'm happy that we get new IPs, but you can't. And this is something that a lot of game companies did uh, last console generation and this one. And they take their they take their protected franchises, they take their, their babies that they nurtured and grew... And then they just shovel them off to some crap developer or some some B-level developer that doesn't have the same quality that the studio that made the first game has. So you're taking this stuff, this this great idea, this great moneymaker, and then you just hand it off. Like, like, how irresponsible is that, right? So you had the same thing with Capcom. Capcom was handing off Resident Evil to a couple studios to try to make these these one-off pieces and and licensing off their property to be made by and then you slowly kill your own franchise by doing that now even resident evil survived like four or five bad games and it still was able to come back strong and for some reason mass effect which i would argue i'm, I'm a huge metal gear guy as as all of you probably know i would argue that mass effect is my second favorite franchise of all time right behind metal gear they crafted an incredible universe incredible characters, amazing story. And then this new one, I haven't even played it yet because I have no interest in playing it. And it makes my, my thought of the quote unquote mass effect universe. It takes all the, like it brings that from being this epic level status down to eh, it's okay. Kind of the same thing that happened a little bit with metal gear at the end. I had a real, 
had a real issue with uh, Metal Gear Solid Five at the end uh, with what they were doing, and that is no one's fault to blame but Kojima. He wasn't rushed by Konami. It wasn't. A, it wasn't anything wrong with it. It was his game. He was trying to tell a story that just, in my opinion, wasn't interesting. Uh, but that game is still great, and I still love Metal Gear. It didn't ruin future Metal Gears for me, even though they aren't really making any except for that uh, undead zombie one, Metal Gear Survive. But I, I just, I, I don't think I've ever seen a fall from grace in a series like this so quickly. I mean, it's, it's like a whole new level of, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just a whole new level of, of disappointment and, uh, and not really paying close enough attention to your fans. Uh, but anyway, so that's, uh, that is the, uh, the story topics for today. I don't have any listener emails, but I do want to do my game recommendation. So let me kind of take a peek over at my wall here. Um, okay. So th- uh, this is a game that uh is on the game boy advance so i I highly recommend this one it's very fun it's called rebel star tactical command so rebel star tactical command is a turn-based tactical alien killing rpg now if that sounds familiar because it's uh it it sounds very similar to a game that was on pc and has recently had a resurgence on the current consoles and, and last console generation uh in a game called xcom UFO defense. So XCOM is the same type of game. And in fact, Rebel Star Tactical Command basically looks like the original creators of XCOM remade XCOM with a more cartoony look to it. And it's incredibly well done. And it's a Game Boy title, unfortunately. I wish it was a <laughs> like a home console game. Uh, but it's really fun. Rebel Star Tactical Command. You have a base you have to build. You have to... When you um, kill aliens, you, uh, you can research their body. You can research their weapons that you pick up. And you can actually start to build your weapons. So, like, you start off with guns. And then you can research laser weapons and plasma weapons. And uh, really cool. And it's, like I said, it's turn-based tactical. So think, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics. But with aliens versus humans and you have a squad usually that you command and it's neat um now i don't know if you can do this in rebel star tactical because i haven't played it in a while but in um in XCOM, you can rename your soldiers to whatever you want so when i play the game i always rename the soldiers to my friends and family because it makes me care about their safety even more so then i don't put them in precarious situations because i want them to live you know, it's that simple. And it was something I used to do on the original XCOM game. I loved it on PC and I had it on PlayStation one. And then I did it on the later XCOM games as well. Um, and, uh, and that's it. So, uh, rebel star tactical command. Uh, and as always, I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, if you could subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, drop rate is our YouTube channel. Look for the yellow and gray DR, uh, with the arrow pointing down, that's our new logo. Um, we'd appreciate any subscriptions, obviously, uh, and the iTunes subs, and anything anything you do to help out. Honestly, we're we're really trying to move this thing along. This is something that we really enjoy doing for ourselves, but also because we hope you guys are entertained by it. But I've always been uh, had all this information. You know, I I'm glad I had a store where I could share it with people, but now I I want to share it with more people, and so I appreciate you guys helping out with that. Uh, so definitely like, share, subscribe, anything you can do to help us out. It's so appreciated. And uh, I, as always, I just love the fact that I have people that listen and comment and and like what I do. And I hope you keep liking it. And I just, uh, I'll be here to keep doing it if you guys are here to keep listening. So thank you. Thank you very much. I'm awful at ending a show, but thank you very much. I appreciate you listening and we hope everybody has a great day. Bye-bye.